Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast and refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information prior to listening to this podcast. Hello, I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Julius Bear. I'm in Singapore and I'm joined by my colleague in Mumbai, Unmesh Kulkarni, and Unmesh is Head of Markets and Investment Wealth Management Solutions at Julius Bear India. Hello, Unmesh. Hello, Mark. Let me start by giving a small background on our opinions on India, because in March 2019, we took our rating on Indian equities from underweight to neutral, and that was because we saw a second mandate for the incumbent government, and so continuity and reform and gradual improvement in the financial sector, which is the heart of any economy. But the economy was still sluggish, we thought, and the market wasn't cheap. And and so neutral was what we kept it at until last month, or I should say at the beginning of uh, this month, this is March of this year, 2021, we increased the rating on India from neutral to overweight. And what that means is if you don't own any India, we think it might be a good time to buy some. And that's why Unmesher and I are going to spend the next 15 minutes talking about India in this podcast. But uh, Unmesh, let me get the sort of uncomfortable part of the story out of the way, which is clearly there's a second wave of COVID in India. The daily confirmed cases have gone from about 10,000 a day to Uh, As of now, it's around 50,000. I presume it's going to head higher. And I presume it means more lockdowns and and that kind of thing. So so tell us about that. Uh, Yes, Mark, I would believe that uh, there's a second wave. So while we did progress quite well after September, but uh, since uh, last month, we have seen a resurgence of COVID cases, particularly Mm. one state uh, of Maharashtra. And the problem is that it's slowly spreading to the neighboring states as well because of a mix of several factors, but mainly the social gatherings, etc. I would say that one good thing is that there's a lot more vigilance now from the uh, state governments as well as the central government to tackle the problem. But clearly the uncertainty has increased. And yes, uh, some lockdowns have already started in the state of Maharashtra and potentially they could uh, go to other towns as well. The other good thing is that the vaccination is progressing quite well. We've already mm-hmm. have two vaccines being administered. It started with the health workers and then the senior citizens. And now I'm told from 1st April, even everyone above the age of 45 can uh, mm-hmm. access uh, vaccines. So that will be a big uh, sort of step going forward. And I'm also told that some more vaccines are under development and India could potentially have a much larger vaccination program, maybe two, three months from now. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Unmesh. You know, I have to say, I also read that probably a lot more people got it in the country than the official statistics show. And so there's probably some natural immunity already. And the other thing I read is that India is a huge producer of vaccines. So there's the 
there's the manufacturing capacity to make a lot of them. Anyway, let's talk about reform. And one thing we have heard a lot about since Narendra Modi became prime minister in 2014 is that word reform, but not always in a good way, because I remember with the monetization and the goods and services tax, there was a lot of criticism about it slowing down GDP growth and uh, people weren't used to the GST and they didn't like not being able to use all those small bills. But on top of that, you've had, I don't know, land reform, labor reform, farm reform, bankruptcy court reform. There's so much, but it's, it's a big subject. Can you give us a report card on how reform is going? Well, Mark, you know, first thing is that one has to realize that these reforms are more structural in nature and uh, aimed at long term benefits and not, you know, not instant gratification. So that's obviously the painful part uh, you go through. But I would say that all these reforms, whether demonetization, GST, the real estate bill, the bankruptcy code, Mm -hmm. what they have done is they have really cleansed the system of the previous year's excesses. So although they took a toll on the growth and the recovery got delayed, Mm -hmm. But I would say that the overall, the economy and banking system particularly is much cleaner now. The banking system hmm. has gone through a huge overhaul, a cleanup of books and the non-performing assets. And hmm. I would also find here that these reforms are possibly a launch pad for the next phase of growth, and uh, which will also improve the quality of growth. And in this, some of the organized players, I would say, you know, the larger organized players uh, will hmm. continue to gain market share and the big will become bigger. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You know, when I look at the history of the Indian market, at least over the last 10 years, it's kind of disappointing, to be honest. It has returned about 6% in US dollars, including dividends per year. And I mean, nobody's going to turn down 6% per year, but it isn't nearly as well as the S&P, for example. And I think one of the reasons was the generally mediocre economic growth translating into generally mediocre earnings growth. You know, the earnings growth was really only in the mid-single digits for most of the last 10 years. So do you think that's going to change now that these hard structural reforms are kind of done in the rearview mirror and we clearly have some kind of a cyclical recovery coming after COVID? Yes, Mark. I I firmly believe that India is on the cusp of a longer term earnings recovery cycle. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a very robust uh, quarter earnings quarter last uh, quarter in the December quarter. Mm-hmm. We had earnings growth of about 22%. And going forward, we think that the momentum will continue to gather pace. Uh, we are already seeing a lot of earnings upgrades uh, happening across the board. And clearly, we can see uh, an improvement in demand in the economy, which is also being fueled to some extent by the higher spending by the government, which should act as yeah. a demand catalyst. And the low uh, prevailing interest rates will also possibly encourage some consumer and businesses uh, to go towards leverage spending. Rural demand also continues uh, to be very strong. And lastly, you know, Mark, there has also been an improvement in the bottom line of companies because of the aggressive sort of cost rationalization undertaken Uh by the companies during the pandemic here. I see. So you've got a double whammy. You've got good cost control on the one hand, but also a cyclical up on the other hand. Well, that's that's good news. And I mean, that's going to be very good for cyclical kind of companies, isn't it? Like consumer discretionary and I don't know, cement and um, industrials, that kind of thing. But I want to ask about technology. And when I look at the Indian market, I don't see a lot of technology. I mean, I see these, what I think are business process outsourcing kind of companies in the inter- in the information technology sector, which is about 15% of the market. It's not a small part of the market, but isn't that kind of old school technology unmesh? I mean, the new stuff people want is stuff like new energy, new energy vehicles, fintechs, cybersecurity, 
medical technology. And I don't see a lot of that in India. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mark, what you say is true, but uh, possibly of the earlier days uh, uh, and where the focus mm-hmm. was more on business process outsourcing, the BPO industry. But yeah. I feel that since then, the sector has evolved quite a bit. Clearly, we have we are not there on the innovation side much, uh, but the local uh, information technology companies have evolved their business models quite a bit. If you look around today, they are, they are doing a lot of work on the digital transformation side, on the really? cloud migration front. Even oh, really? I would say even on the yeah even on the next generation IT sourcing work. Uh, for example, some of the largest uh, IT companies uh, possibly they derive one third of the revenues from these new sort of uh, business models. And Indian companies, Mark, uh, they are also now participating in that uh, disruption technology. The only thing is why this some of these things are not noticeable on the global side is because many of these companies are in the unlisted space still. How oh, they're not on the stock market not on the stock market, funded by private equity. But if you see the there are various platforms that are developing, the home delivery platform, the marketplace platforms, e-commerce. Yeah. Uh, these are fast-growing education technology, food technology, fintech, really? etc. Yeah, Even lifestyle-related uh, technology. So it's all happening. So you think over the next few years, there will be more and more companies like that listing on the stock market? Yes, certainly. And, uh, you know, not just listing on the stock market, but there'll be a lot more unicorns being produced, technology unicorns being produced by India, which will get listed and where global mm-hmm. investors can participate in also. Well, that's great because, you know, as much as people do talk about the absence of technology in India, I, I think you're right. There, I see a whole raft of interesting initial public offerings on the horizon, and they might not be Web 5.0, which is the most advanced, but there's certainly a lot of Web 4.0 web 3.0 and i also want to say that we shouldn't lose sight of the human capital in the indian story and it might not be that fashionable these days but i think the great advantage of the country at least from my humble perspective is that working age population surpassed its dependent population in size in 2018 and demographers forecast that will continue to be the case until 2055 in other words the working age population is bigger than the dependents. And if you look back in history at Unmesh at other countries, when that happened, to me it's very interesting because that happened, that crossover happened, for, for example, in Japan in 1964. Okay, so in 1964, the, the working age population surpassed the dependent uh, population in Japan. And that happened in Korea in 1987. It happened in, in China in 1994. And when I just sort of put in my own head, Japan, 1964, Korea, 1987, China, 1994. All those dates correspond roughly to the beginnings of very positive periods of consumption growth for those countries. So I'm thinking the consumption trajectory for India is probably going to be very robust. And if you couple that with these up-and-coming new technology companies, I think it makes for a very interesting story. But in Mesh, I, I want to ask you also about uh, the public sector banks, because the, correct me if I'm wrong, I think banks are the biggest part of the stock market, at least for now. And the public sector banks have been the, the big lenders, but they are dragged down by these non-performing assets. And so can you give us an update on how that's going? Are they getting rid of these non-performing assets and therefore they're going to be able to lend? out more, which will obviously be help the whole economy, or, or, or is it still kind of a mess? Well, uh, the last decade or so, the public sector banks have been through a lot of stress, uh, you know, for the obvious mm. reason that the whole CapEx cycle in India suffered quite a bit and which resulted into non-performing assets across the board. But we think that the worst is possibly over for the 
public sector banks in terms of balance yeah in terms of balance sheet stress and particularly with the expected revival of the economic cycle and a lot of the cleaning up having uh, already taken place we think that the banks are now likely to participate in growth of their business growth of their balance mm-hmm. sheets as well and st- also start focusing on their pnl in terms of capitalization uh, certainly there have been a lot of uh, attempts by the government to recapitalize the banks uh, it's progressed well i would say but more so i think the larger public sector banks are pretty much more comfortable in terms of capitalization now and private sector banks certainly are very well capitalized mm-hmm. on the other hand but let's say the weaker weaker public sector banks still have some way to go that's great thank you very much unmesh i appreciate all of the things that you've told us about today unfortunately it's all we have time for today and just to summarize india is huge 1.4 billion people with a working age population that's going to continue to rise until 2055 which i might add is a different story from the chinese story where the working age population is peaking yeah and we expect india to have the strongest gdp growth isn't that right on mesha of any economy that we cover absolutely yeah yeah we're looking for i think 9% this year and 7% next year and that should translate correct me if i'm wrong into earnings growth of about 25%, 25% this year yeah and next year too so we moved it to an overweight last month and we recommend investors to own it and on behalf of unmesh and all our other colleagues at julius bear thank you for listening and goodbye You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.